You guys, I am so excited for this episode. I have been trying to get Sam Coyle of Branded Bills to be on the podcast ever since I started. And as you will hear, he is a busy man. He has built an empire and it all started from the most humble of beginnings. And I cannot wait for you to hear about it. So before we dive on in, if you are here for the very first time, if you are returning again, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for allowing me in your ears. And I hope that this episode can give you some inspiration that there is no right way to do any of it. The only right way is what's right for you, what's right for me. And I hope that hearing more about Sam's journey can help you dive further into your own. So if you want to see where you can find Sam branded bills, maybe a little discount code, be sure to head over to standtoserve.com backslash episode 37. I also have a hand-lettered quote from Sam in this episode and lots of other goodies over there. All right, let's dive on in. I'm Emily Kostopoulos, and this is the Stand to Serve podcast, where I interview the makers, the creators, the dreamers that are standing up to serve in the bravest, scariest way possible by being the person they were meant to be no matter what. We're talking about the vulnerability of accepting that challenge, of taking a stand to fill the role you were meant to step into, of overcoming fear and self-doubt and how doing so can change the world we live in. They all have a story to tell and I just can't wait to help tell it. Thank you to Rock Solid Virtual Assistants for being a sponsor of the Stand to Serve podcast. They have been a part of my business for over a year now. I can't even begin to tell you how much freedom I've felt having them on my team. Megan has been a game changer in my business. She was there when I quit my full-time job to pursue all the things, and I'm here now as she moved across the world to work remotely for the next four months. Curious about that little tidbit? Be sure to tune into episode 25, where Megan and I talk about our very unconventionally rad working relationship. Are you at that tipping point in your business where you're right on the verge of needing more time and resources, but not ready for a full-time employee? Maybe it would change your whole world to have someone else managing your email, your social media, your workflows, your client management tools, so you can focus on what you do best. What else could you accomplish with just a little extra help? If you want to find out, visit rocksolidassistance.com backslash STS for Stand to Serve to schedule a time to chat with Tracy and see how she can become a member of your team. It's hard. It's hard to be selfish. It feels weird to be selfish when you're creating things that other people experience. For sure. Yeah. I hear you. Do you feel that way with your hats ever? Well, kind of, but I actually feel like we're creating an experience for them mm-hmm. and we just play a role in like maybe providing that experience. Mm. But I mean, I kind of, I really, really feed off of the feedback that I get from the customers. Everybody's always so positive. There's always some negativity in there, but mm-hmm. everybody's always been so positive, not only about the quality of the hat, but just the experience for the customer and working with our employees and everything is been really cool. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So now that we're teasing it a little bit, why don't you, like, how did this whole thing even start for you? I watched like a YouTube video today where you kind of talked about it and I, 
I had no idea your your beginnings literally were you like stitching yep. hats. So why don't you kind of start with that? Okay. So basically, uh, I had moved back to Rapid City from Arizona for the purpose of starting a brewery, um, Hay Camp in Rapid City. And that was Do you kinda, have experience in like no. No. No, no experience at all. So I after I graduated college, I got a hospitality major and then a minor in business. So I had some background in business, but you know, college education and business is pretty bland and not really my type of business, I guess. But Mm -hmm. um, so I moved to Arizona basically because I wanted to change things up. Um, And I worked at a private country club down there and worked there for four and a half years, figured out it wasn't kind of where I wanted to go as far as work because I didn't enjoy it. And so I moved back to Rapid, took a flyer basically, and just decided that I wanted to play a role in starting this brewery. And so I had no brewing background. What do you mean you took a flyer? I just wanted to change something, I guess. I wasn't happy where I was at Mm -hmm. work-wise. And I think this was an opportunity for me to kind of figure out what I like to do. And this was the first step I took. I've always kind of pursued things that give me a little more freedom for my time. And so that was the main thing, not knowing that it would probably take way more of my time Mm -hmm. down the road. But that was my initial thought. I just kind of wanted to have freedom of time and freedom for myself to kind of make my own decisions. Mm. But I moved basically as like the business aspect of the brewery. So I created a business plan, wrote it up. My partners for the brewery, they were the brewing aspect. And so we got a little place in Rapid, opened up the brewery a couple days a week, and worked on it constantly every day while working full-time aside from that, uh, building custom homes. And so that— So when you moved back to Rapid, you were doing the brewery and you were building custom homes? Yes. Oh, damn. Yep. Busy. And so, <laughs> and so yeah, my buddy actually, when I moved back, I was like, I need a job. I need to be able to pay my bills. So he has a custom home business, Bowdoin Construction, and he's been a lifelong friend. Gave me a job, and I had no experience in carpentering or carpentry at all. And so that alone, like that experience transitioned, I mean, a whole nother side of my life that I became passionate about. But that allowed me to work during the day. And then at night, I'd go to the brewery and work every night, whether it was on you know, actual construction of the brewery and making it look good or working on the business side of things, creating a website, social media pages, creating some promotions, a logo, all that good stuff. Hmm. And so basically that was my life for two years. And that's all we worked on. Sam and Carl from Hay Camp, they continued to brew beer and we shipped it out. And I kind of had this pride of not only like being a starter of this business, but like wanting to share it with the community. And so we were one of the first like I don't know, craft breweries in downtown Rapid City. And so we had, you know, a ton of potential at that time to kind of create a brand for ourselves. And I've always been really interested in setting myself apart and kind of creating something unique for myself. And so I took that mentality into the business and probably a year into it, a girl from the School of Mines brought us like a branding iron that she had made in class with our logo and basically just dropped it off, gave it to me. And she's like, use it however you want. And um, it's yours. Like, love your guys's 
idea and business. And I thought that was really cool. So kind of thought about what you use a branding iron for. And being me, obviously, I was like, I want to make a hat because I wear hats all the time. And I also wanted a hat that nobody else had. And I wanted a hat that kind of had our logo. So it was almost like we could market our business in a cool way, but I didn't want anybody else to have it. (laughs) So I just wanted one for myself. And um, I ended up cutting out a piece of leather with a utility knife, branded it with our brand and sewed it on the hat myself and wore it to the brewery the next day. And I think I sold probably 30 of them because people wanted them. And at that point, I didn't know what it looked like to sell it and like make them. So I ended up making them all myself on like my kitchen table and I can make about two an hour. So I'd spend four or five hours and make eight or 10 and either ship them to friends or sell them to people at the brewery the next day. And I did that for probably six months and ended up selling probably 70 or 80 of them. And by that time, I was kind of like transitioning out of the brewery, just different perspectives on where we wanted to go for the business. And I ended up just kind of moving on and made the decision that it wasn't for me. I think it was more just a partner aspect. The business itself was great, but it just didn't work out real well as our team, which is totally fine. But um, I made the decision that I was going to move on and just continue to do construction and woodworking. And so by that point, I had actually found a passion to build furniture hmm. because I had learned through, you know, finish work and building homes with my buddy, Adam. And so that was kind of my side hustle. And so I made furniture, ended up getting a couple really sweet jobs in Rapid City just based off of referrals and did that kind of like to replace my time at the brewery and still built homes full time. So I guess I was used to the 80-hour work weeks mm. at that point, and I had no problem with it. And actually, a couple of buddies of mine in Arizona bought a hat to support my ventures in Hay Camp at the time. And literally, I think like a week after I had quit with Hay Camp, with them not knowing, they said they wanted to start making these hats down in Arizona, and they came up with the idea of branded bills and basically said, it was your ideas, your concept. Do you want to be a part of the business? And I had just like transitioned out of Hay Camp and I was like, why not? I mean, I don't have anything holding me back and there's not a ton of upfront cost to me or investment. Mm-hmm. So I was like, I have the time. Why not? Let's try it. Brand of Bills started and basically we started making Arizona hats from there. That's so nuts. So are you, were you, yeah. have you been like, crafty and creative and like making things with your hands like your whole life? Or did that happen when you started building homes and and you recognize that part of it? I think I kind of realized like further down the road when I was a kid, I always like sewed patches onto my sweatshirts and like put stickers all over everything. And I wasn't like exactly crafty or like artistic in that sense, but I always wanted to set myself apart Mm. and be kind of like individual from a style sense. Yeah. And so that helped in probably like this back of my mind, you know, idea that I probably never really consciously thought about, but I just wanted to do it because mm. I had always been that way. The woodworking aspect definitely put into perspective how much I do like working with my hands and like how fulfilling it is to see something like completed 
and instantly gratified, like working on something like a table, for instance, it may take, you know, a couple weeks to make and finish, but then when it's done, it's like physically in front of you and you can be proud of something that you can see and feel. And mm-hmm. that part of it really, really had a big effect on me. And that's why I found a, a ton of gratitude for that. Yeah. There's an author that he talks a lot about finding your zone of genius in life and not staying in your zone of excellence, but getting into your zone of genius. And he talks about if you look back at when you were a kid, the things you were doing, it's probably a good indication of what you, you know, will end up doing later in life if you are going towards your, you know, zone of genius. So I think like when you're in it, you don't really recognize those things, but hearing you tell that whole story, it's, it's cool to kind of see the full circle of that. Yeah. I mean, you have, you've sewed patches on things before <laughs> and then you like, so no wonder you can pick it up and start doing it again. Right. That's yeah. Awesome. And I never, I mean, at the time, never thought, you know, putting a patch on a sweatshirt when I was in eighth grade would affect my decision to put a leather patch on a hat when I was 30. Mm-hmm. But I probably just did it based off the fact that I knew I could do it. I knew I would like the fact that nobody else would have it. Yeah. And that feeling that I had maybe when I was in eighth grade came back to me, which is crazy yeah. to think about. But it is definitely made an impact on my decision unconsciously for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So talk to me about like when you first started, and you just like it's so crazy to me, like seeing what you've built now to like that this basically like started by accident, kind of. Yeah. And I think a lot of really cool things in life happen that way. Yeah. So it's awesome to look back on that. When you were first starting, and they, when you first got that phone call, like what was kind of going through your head of it? Like during that time, were you just excited to see where it led or or were things like clicking for you or was it still just very like, you know, organic starting? For me, I think at that point when I got the phone call, I was super excited to start on something new. And I had been building homes, so I kind of knew what that daily, you know, task looked like or that daily work looked like even though we were doing something new every day, I mean, it was an amazing experience, but like for me to kind of like rewind and start over, I had some experience in what it looked like to start a business. And so it made that decision, I think even easier for me to be like, I want to see if I can do it again, but do it better and learn more this time. And it wasn't about, you know, selling a bunch of hats in the beginning. It was more or less like, us three coming together and seeing what we could create based off of a pretty good idea that people seem to like everywhere, not just in South Dakota. And so, I mean, they found that out by buying a hat and wearing it in Arizona and getting comments from people on the street and being like, people don't even know where South Dakota is. And people <laughs> people would ask, like, where did you get that hat? I've never seen anything like it. It was stitched on crooked. Like, it was not a pretty hat. And Mm -hmm. people still had this affinity to ask about it. Mm. And so that's where they found out like, okay, there's some, there's obviously some potential here. But like for me, when I got that call, I was like, this allows me to put my time into something that once again, like means something to me. Mm -hmm. And I can do it better this time because I learned so much from a bunch of failures in the previous experience. Mm. And I just thought that was the coolest thing ever. And that's really why I pursued it. It had nothing to do with creating this like huge hat company or selling a bunch of hats. It was more or less like using my time 
valuably and like allowing it to give back to me and learn. I'm not like going to read a bunch of books and figure things out through education. I've never been that type of person, but like through the experience, I learned so much and it's super fulfilling for me. Mm. Yeah. I like that. It's really powerful to be able to look back on failures and realize that they're just information and they're ways for you mm-hmm. to grow and learn and, and make something better. Yep. You know, I do it around. every day. Yeah. So can you give an example of like the last time you, you know, looking back on something that you experienced maybe failure and how you use that to, to learn and grow? Well, I think one of the biggest things I learned from my first experience with the brewery was placing blame on outside factors on things that didn't work out. And I found out, you know, there's a lot of things that I can control. And if it doesn't work out, it's not somebody to blame or something to blame or a circumstance that didn't work out. It's more or less like I probably didn't think it all the way through. Hmm. And I should have maybe approached it in a different way. That for me has been the biggest learning experience for sure. On a daily basis for branded bills, I fail every day. There are things that I don't know how to do. There are new aspects of the business we want to get into that we have employees that work hard in certain aspects of the business, but like as far as progressing and creating like new avenues for the business, it's on basically us four to pursue that. Mm-hmm. And without trying things and without failing things, like our business would never grow. Yeah. And especially in the apparel industry, you have to be innovative almost quarterly. Like every three months, you have to have a new product. You have to have something that excites people, mm-hmm. even if you have a loyal customer base. So like finding ways to navigate those avenues where you do fail over and over and over again, I've found has been a super great learning experience for me. Um, and just not placing blame on anybody, but learning from the experience, even if you don't have to blame yourself, but there's probably ways you could have done it better. And I think that's mm-hmm. the only way you're going to solve problems instead of outsourcing all your issues and blames. Yeah. Yeah. So how long ago was this that Brandon Bills started? So I was just looking at it uh, the other day and we started, the idea started in April, 2015. And we sold our first hat, I think in February of 2016. Wow. Yeah. Awesome. And was your first line Arizona stuff or did you go right out of the gate with all the states? Nope. It was just Arizona stuff. um, And it was actually themed towards colleges. Mm -hmm. So we kind of targeted ASU and University of Arizona, being that we thought that was the potential market for our product. Mm. We had no idea what our market was. We just thought, you know, 25-year-olds wear flat bill snapback hats, and it's a good look, and possibly it'll take off in those areas. Mm -hmm. So we didn't get licensing. We just kind of made this like generic, broad, familiar logo that people could recognize and maybe relate to the universities, but not directly interfere with any licensing. And so that's where we started, and then we expanded to probably all the states with the same idea of targeting like their main universities mm-hmm. and like six months into business start where we had started selling hats and like, you know, kind of making some money so we could buy more materials and kind of grow a little bit. We got a seasoned assist from the NCAA. 
Oh, damn. Yes. <laughs> so like six months into business, basically they're like shut down operation. You guys wow. can't make these hats. Luckily, they didn't sue us. So we got out of that. We didn't have to give back all the revenue we had made. And it wasn't a ton, but it was definitely like making impact where one of my partners had been able to quit his job and go full time. And then we weren't taking any salaries aside from him or I guess whatever hourly wages aside from him, but we were able to purchase a lot more materials and improve our product at that time. Mm -hmm. And basically we were just shut down. So we had no designs that we were able to sell anymore. Wow. And that pushed us into the state flags. And so that ideally was like the biggest and best turnaround point, like biggest speed bump we ever had. But it also expanded our market from 22-year-old students in, you know, particular universities in the U.S. to everybody in the United States. Yeah. Did you notice the switch, like, right away when you made that change? Immediately. Really? Yeah. Our sales probably doubled or tripled within, like, the first two weeks. Wow. And so just to expand to that broader market, we were like, what were we doing this whole time? Yeah. Do you like have that cease and desist like framed? Yeah. (laughs) Oh, we've got it. Yes. (laughs) And like two years later, they reached out and like asked if we wanted to start licensing with them. And they're like, your products are so great. Oh my gosh, how funny. It got us on their radar, not in a good way off the bat, but then moving forward, they were super stoked on our products. Yeah. We still haven't even done college licensing yet. Like it's not, we don't have the capacity to do it right now. So that's just another avenue we could go down. But yeah, I mean, it was the best thing that ever happened to us. Wow. So (laughs) there is like a branded Bill's hat in every state in the United States. Every state and multiple designs um, for every state. Yep. Wow. And it's, I mean... Our business model works out great for that because we don't stock inventory. So we make everything to order. Really? Yeah. So if I go on and order something, it's not made until I click checkout. Correct. Wow. Yep. And so basically our production has been set up that way. And that's how we learned from the beginning. And now we kind of built our business around that model. So we're not mm-hmm. sitting on, you know, a couple thousand Texas hats that we might or might not sell. Yeah. Because we offer 18 SKUs per design. So like we have a one patch design, say it's the South Dakota patch. There are 18 hat styles and colorways that go with just that patch. And then we offer, you know, I don't know, five or six designs per state. And so you're looking at like 6,000 SKUs that if you sat on inventory your overhead would be insane. So we Mm -hmm. decided to build the model around making everything to order. Mm -hmm. And even our custom program, everything's made to order and we still do it in two-week turnaround. So like our production's caught up to what we can do, what we sell, I guess. Yeah, There's definitely been an imbalance from time to time during the holiday season. And if we decide to crank up our advertising budget, we can definitely put them underwater. But at the same time, we're not sitting on a bunch of hats that we'll never sell. Yeah, that's so smart. Yeah. So do you is it still the same thing that you started with? Like an actual branding iron, piece no. of leather? No. No. Technology is improved. Okay. So now we use basically laser, laser branding. So the glue is kind of proprietary to what we do. Mm-hmm. So over three years, we basically developed a process. And we work with a company that creates the product for us. That requires a specific amount of pressure, a specific heat, 
a specific amount of time for our products. So that's kind of our secret sauce. So yeah, the laser cuts out the patch in the specific, I mean, super detailed, specific outline. And then you can put any design you want. So we have an in-house graphic designer that can put together designs for us in-house. Or, you know, people bring us their logos, even if it's just a screenshot of their t-shirt or something, and he can pull that, create the logo, send you a digital proof, and then our laser can do just about any detail. And, you know, we've grown into, we have three of them now, we're getting ready to purchase our fourth. So that's like a huge asset that we have on our side that can crank out probably 70 patches an hour. So we're at a point now where we can make quite a few patches, but our production's uh, actually faster than our lasers are now. So we just have to keep building those up on production side. Dang. And then all of our hats. So we use Yupong and Richardson, our hat suppliers, and we import the blanks, but they're all custom made for us. So like the inside has branded bills, it's tag branded bills, it gets embroidered. So this part that has the branded bills yep. comes already? Yep. Cool. And then, um, yeah, and then basically we make the patches and put them on and make them to order in that way. And then we do all our own shipping and receiving. Um, All of our customer service is in-house, all of our marketing, Hmm. all our website, everything's just done in-house. So the only thing we really outsource right now is our screen printing. And that's just for our branded bills t-shirts, which is super small part of our business. But everything else we've decided that we want to do and kind of build a team and culture in-house. Yeah, because it's awesome. super easy to outsource everything. Mm-hmm. When I was actually at the Craft Brewers Conference this past weekend and saw probably seven or eight hat manufacturers, and all of their products are made overseas. Hmm. And so, I mean, I get the fact that like we import our blank hats. That's one thing we decided to do because of the quality and just based off of the quantity, sheer quantity we sell nowadays. Like mm-hmm. it just made sense. There's not a manufacturer in the United States that can keep up with our production and have the same quality we're looking for. Yeah. But we also have, you know, every hat that goes out, there's probably eight to 10 hands that get involved with that hat and involved in the experience for the customer. So maybe some people might not think we're made in the USA, but if people came to our warehouse, like there is definitely a huge influence on our employees and our customer service and our made to order that is very much made in Arizona. And we're super proud of that. That's awesome. So when you guys started and things started taking off and you had to look to start hiring employees, so it was, it was you and two other partners. Is that right? Yep. And then we brought on a fourth partner, um, probably three months later. Yeah. Yeah. So what is that like working with I mean, it's a very creative business that you have. What is it like working with other creative minds? Like, are you guys just constantly like throwing out new ideas and you kind of have that trust factor there? Or, you know, what has that been like for you? Yeah. So luckily, I think one of the biggest parts of our success has been our ability to work as a team. Um, Like us four all come from different backgrounds as far as work experience. Those three guys actually grew up together in Tucson, went to high school together. And then I had known them. We had been friends. So we were all familiar with each other, but we had never worked together. Mm-hmm. That's a whole different dynamic. Mm-hmm. And us four actually like have this ability to sit in a room, talk about things as brothers instead of coworkers, and just like give each other shit, you know, tell each other, no, that's a terrible idea. Like, sorry, man, this isn't gonna fly. <laughs> or 
have the ability to be super open and honest, have an idea, go with it. And then if it fails, it's no big deal because at least we tried. Yeah. And that aspect of it, I think all four of us can agree that we aren't going to sit around and try to debate like the best possible solution for a given problem or have the best idea to launch next month. It's okay. We have an idea. We know kind of how to facilitate and how to make that work. If it doesn't work, that's fine, but let's try it. We're not going to not try it because we're not the masters of the apparel industry Mm -hmm. and we don't know exactly what people want. And we found out it's better off. I mean, go ahead and give it a shot. And if it doesn't work, okay, we'll check that off and we'll move to the next idea. Yeah. But we have such a great dynamic. It's impressive and it's so fun to work with those guys on a daily basis. That's awesome. And they have allowed me to live in South Dakota and work from home. I'm the only person that doesn't live in Arizona. Mm -hmm. And for them to trust in the fact that, like, I can handle my business from here. I go down there once a month. But also, like, that communication is still there. That trust is there. That that requires a lot, especially for how big our business has grown. Yeah. For sure. I think it's cool that you guys have, you know, kind of, the bare bones of your business supports this idea of being able to try something. And if it doesn't work, it doesn't work because you're not stuck with all that inventory. Right. And it makes this, I mean, from the outside looking in, it, it's like a, a really cool culture of just like, just like trying and not getting bogged down with Absolutely. like fear or, or, you know, wondering if people are going to like it or whatever. So I love that that's something that you guys have built internally, but it's, it's apparent you know, from the outside looking in as well. Yeah, and we've kind of tried to relay that message to our employees as well. Uh, We try to create a culture that's like open door policy. We're not going to separate ourselves or make ourselves your boss, more or less your coworker, and work with people and allow them the opportunity. Because you don't really know, you know, what people's potential is until you give them the opportunity to kind of do what they like to do. Mm -hmm. Or maybe put an opportunity in front of them, see if they take advantage of it. Yeah. And maybe they'll excel at it. But there are plenty of times like we've, I mean, almost all of our employees, I feel like, haven't had a whole lot of experience in the fields that they're working in for our company. Mm-hmm. And so whether they took that upon themselves to learn that or they were just open to the idea of working for a company that kind of just like, here's what we need. It's on you to figure it out. We can guide you and we can answer questions because luckily all four of us have been through every stage of the business since day one. But there is so much potential and opportunity for people that work with us. Like if you have an idea and you want to pursue it, we'll provide the tools for you to do that. And if it works, great. If it doesn't, then we'll find out later. Mm -hmm. But at this point, we have the assets in our company that basically we can try and do whatever we want. Mm -hmm. And so for our employees to have that creative freedom, obviously there's day-to-day tasks that need to get done. But then if they want to come to us and be like, hey, I've kind of mastered the customer service side of things. I would love to manage and train somebody under me. Then I want to move it into PR and like get our name out there locally. Hmm. Like that's one transition we're going through right now. And that was brought to our attention. We didn't ask for that position to be filled, but it's something that's needed for our business that we've never gotten to. Yeah, But for our employees to come to us and like bring that to attention is pretty awesome. 
Yeah. Yeah. It's rad. You're just like doing things differently and you're doing things that like the way that it's working for you. And I don't think that happens enough in our society. I think we get really bogged down thinking that there's only one right way to do it. Yeah. It just sucks sometimes. So it's cool to see people that are doing things like their own way and they're staying true to their path. And when you are doing that and you don't have a clear idea of like what this will look like or what this should look like eventually, how do you guys stay true to yourselves? Do you guys have like a internal mission statement or is you just is it based on the fact that you have built such a strong like core relationship between you guys all or like what are your thoughts on that I really think uh you know since we've really thought about this a lot the past probably year considering like the impact we're starting to have and hiring employees and you know almost creating a quality of life for people that are involved in our business then like having this impact on customers that come to us and they say this is the greatest hat I've ever bought. I'm never buying another hat again. And that feeling is kind of crazy. But for us, like as us four kind of get to know each other more, I think, you know, family values is one of the biggest thing that we kind of respect in our business. A couple of my partners have kids. I have a kid. And we just feel like moving forward, I guess, as just like friends and humans, you kind of understand it's not about like creating this huge success story but it's more creating just a great quality of life and like having the opportunity to work for yourself and having more or less just like this feeling of fulfillment in something that you can do every day and also take time off and realize like there's so much more than working in life Mm. and having that understanding, I think, and relaying that to our employees and being honest with our customers about making mistakes and, realizing we're not perfect, all that kind of stuff kind of builds into the fact that like, yeah, we know we're, we're out here trying to crush and like sell a bunch of hats and make a bunch of money. But at the end of the day, like we get to go home and I don't know, feel proud about what we did that day. And I think for us, it's just about being honest with everybody and realizing like we're not perfect. We're not these like huge business owners that are super successful. Like we're going to give everything back to the business because that's where ultimately like we became like rich in our lives is because of that business. So Mm. not like monetarily, but like it creates this like appreciation of time and like what little amount there is in, I guess, this time in our lives when you're 30 or 40 years old, you know? Yeah. So I don't know. I think we all have a huge appreciation for the amount of work we've all put in, but also like creating this opportunity for people to, I don't know, have the same feeling, I guess, because we're super fortunate and grateful that it happened to us. But we know personally we work for it, but at the same time, like there are plenty of factors and people that were involved that allowed it to happen. Hmm. So I don't know. It's been a crazy experience. That chunk. So well said. I mean, I love what you said about like rich in your life. And that doesn't mean monetary. Yeah. So it is what it's all about. For sure. It's like, that is my definition of success right now as well. It's like, it's not the money anymore or the, like the status of the title or like having some cool job. It's like figuring out that there's so many other things that are more important. And if I can have a career or a business that allows me to spend more time in those important moments, like that's success. Yeah. I think for most people that feel that feeling, I know opportunity is one thing and I know circumstance is one thing, but Mm -hmm. having the ability to maybe like, okay, take a step back, 
realize there is more important things in life than work. And then kind of pursuing those small little details that you could do maybe an hour a night or, you know, on the weekends that make you feel really good about yourself. Mm -hmm. That kind of work turns into something super special Mm. for sure. And I've learned that probably the past, I don't know, five years. And I don't think I'd ever be able to go back to the way I was before. Mm. So good. You're so wise, Sam. (laughs) I love it. Okay. So I want to like briefly touch on my husband. Like when I first saw your hats, I like have gotten my husband hats. And then he saw you guys have like the Cameron Haynes line Mm -hmm. and he's like obsessed. So briefly, even though we just had this great monologue about how much like being a crazy success story isn't the end game. Right. I would love to like, when did you guys get to that point where you started like working with these like not just like celebrities, but like people that really kind of embody like your guys' brand as well. Like yep. I wouldn't say Cameron Haynes is like mainstream famous person, but it's like he's famous for some really cool things. Yeah. So like talk through, like how did that happen? Like how do you approach those, you know, partnerships or whatever? So that partnership started, uh, would be probably November of 2017. And this is a point in our business where we had figured out, you know, how production works. We could keep up with demand. And then we were coming into our first holiday season. So we were like, okay, maybe we'll sell, you know, like 30 hats a day or something and just like completely blow our previous months out of the water. And it did start to happen organically. And at that point, we had found Cameron Haynes basically through Instagram. We all kind of had this affinity toward him like a lot of people do based off of his lifestyle and how he approaches life. There's plenty of things like he does personally that I don't personally do, but just like his outlook and his motivation on a daily basis is super impressive. Mm -hmm. And I think it's something that a lot of people should see. So basically what we did is we took his logo, keep hammering or his motto, and we made a hat and we made about, I don't know, six or 12 of them. And we just mailed them to him. Like just see what the outcome would be. And at that point, he had gotten the hats. He never let us know that he got them, but he started wearing them on his Instagram. And people started commenting over and over again, like, where did you get that hat? Because he had sold merchandise before, but nobody had ever seen a hat kind of like that from him. Mm -hmm. And so he finally broke down and he's like, I've heard so much response and feedback from my fans and followers. Like, I got to order some hats from you guys. We're like, okay. So we, you know, went back and forth on price forever. And he was like, well, well, I don't know. I'll do it for this amount. And we're like, okay, whatever. We'll basically give you these hats for free. Like, get him some hats. I think he bought like 100 hats and put them on his website. And his website crashed. And so, (laughs) (laughs) like, within like 30 seconds, I think he sold out all of 100. And we were like, okay. So, we didn't know like somebody who doesn't actually like sell apparel. All he, I mean, he runs and hunts every day and that's what he does. And it's like, this guy's got such a loyal fan base that people want to wear everything that he makes. Mm-hmm. And we're like, okay, well, we can put them on our website and we can sell them through our website and it won't crash and you can sell as many as you want. We'll fulfill the orders You don't have to worry about shipping and receiving. And luckily at that point, we had the model set up to do that. Mm -hmm. And so he was sending hats out from his living room, trying to do it himself. And we're like, 
tell you what, we'll split the profit. We'll just cut you a check at the end of each month and we'll do all the rest. All you have to do is wear the hats. And that's how it started. And basically we had the model to do it. And from there on out, like I think our business probably quadrupled in like a week's time based off of the traffic that was coming just for Cameron Haynes. That's so crazy. (laughs) So it completely changed our business. I think the first day, the first day we put it online, we sold like 700 of his hats. And so at that point, we were used to making maybe 50 hats a day. And we like sold 700. And we're like, holy shit, like we have to completely change our business and grow around like this guy's hat specifically, like one hat. And so we had to, you know, increase production. We had to hire more people. Like it changed our entire business. And so from that point on, like we realized the potential to find people that align, I mean, aligned with our business. And then also like to find those niche markets of Mm -hmm. influencers that actually make a huge impact on their followers and fans. Yeah, And so we've only allowed like ambassadors that we kind of agree with on a lifestyle perspective because one, they're representing our company. yeah. And then from a business perspective, like obviously this guy's going to crush selling hats. So like let's kind of get in touch with him. Mm-hmm. And so we only have like a couple people we work with currently, but he's definitely one of the bigger ones. And then the hunting and running community or, you know, that whole like, get up every morning and kick ass type of community is is really taking hold on our generation, I feel like, from yeah. 30 to 40-year-olds. Yeah. And people really want to make a change and make healthy lifestyle choices and, mm-hmm. you know, take care of their personal responsibilities and stuff like that really struck gold for us. And I think it really, like, propelled our business into a whole nother level which is crazy. And now we work with them. We do all of his merchandise. We do all his t-shirts, all his hat designs, everything. That's so rad. And so, yeah, I mean, like he's just like been this like crazy, I don't know, influence on our business without even really having a huge say or impact on what we do, but just like being him. Yeah. And to have that kind of impact, like we realized wow, this guy's a real deal for sure. Mm -hmm. And so we've learned a bunch from him. And then at the same time, we've made a bunch of money off of him. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you probably made him a bunch of money too. Uh, Yeah, that is for (laughs) sure. Yes. Oh, wow. That's so cool. It's so cool to like hear your story and how many really big, cool things have happened by just like quick decisions. Yeah. And it's more or less just like allowing ourselves to try and be out there. Like we know a lot of times like we're not prepared. I mean, we saw the demand for Cameron Haynes. We knew our production wasn't capable of handling it, but like, why would we pass up that opportunity? Because Mm -hmm. we can't make enough hats. Mm -hmm. Like the fact that people have to wait a couple more days to get their hat is not going to determine whether our business is viable or not. Like people are still going to understand. Like there's going to be plenty of people out there that'll be like, I didn't get my hat on time, but it's like, well, you got your hat and we took care of it. And like our customer service side of it is like, we want to make sure your experience was great. Like you got your hat, here's an extra t-shirt. And like, sorry, it was a couple days late. And mm-hmm. we always, you know, kind of owned it and took care of that fact. Yeah. And I mean, that was a sweet decision on our behalf to just go for it and 
Yeah. You know, we sold, you know, 700 hats in one day and we're like, well, I guess we're staying until three in the morning, but mm-hmm. it was totally worth it because all those customers now come back and buy our hats. Yeah. So smart. Yeah. So smart. So I want to wrap up with two questions. Did you speak at the entrepreneurial weekend or something? I did. Yeah. So how is that coming back to like your hometown and talking about, you know, because you had, you've been a part of a startup before and, yep. and coming back and talking about this other one that kind of just happened. And what did that feel like? going through your head, I guess. Well, when they first asked me, so I kind of, my name got brought up through a friend of uh, Lindsey Frankenfield was kind of the head kind of like person of Black Hill Startup Weekend. They've been doing it for four or five years and I had never even heard about it. My name got brought up when she was talking to one of my good friends, Lacey, and Lacey kind of just nominated me, I guess. And they were looking for somebody, I guess, that was a little younger, had had some experience in starting his own business and I was more than willing to do it. I got super nervous because that was kind of the first time I had ever had to publicly speak about my experience. Mm. And so for me, it was kind of like this, like, I don't know, there was only like 30 people there, but I mean, just be able to express what I had gone through and kind of my feelings on how I've, I don't know, had an impact on people's maybe decisions on whether or not to go for it or, you know, start their own business or like help them feel that like their idea isn't a waste of time Hmm. was a really crazy experience for me because I've never really thought about it personally that way. I've always just kind of done it and never really second guessed myself, but I didn't realize in the entrepreneurial community, it is a very, very hard decision for a lot of people to kind of take that leap Mm -hmm. and, move towards something that possibly is an absolutely amazing idea or something that they really, really love to do, mm-hmm. but they can't do it because they're afraid that they're going to fail or they're, they don't have like everything set in stone. Mm-hmm. And so the experience for me was actually super incredible to see like most of these kids were at school minds or a couple older people. That was great to see that they had some ideas and like got in front of the group and like spoke as well. But to see like, hey, I have this idea, I've thought about it all the time, and realize like it doesn't require a ton of startup cash and all it really requires is time mm-hmm. and putting in the effort to like, I don't know, start putting ideas down on paper or I don't know, renting out a space and doing something for yourself and just like having the opportunity to see the other side of the challenges that it's brought a lot of people and they're kind of like, I don't know, I guess their goals and, you know, future aspects in work. And for me, it's always just been so easy mm-hmm. for a lot of reasons. I've had a lot of support from my family. I've always been one to kind of just figure it out on my own. Uh, I've never been afraid to just work a lot. Mm-hmm. So I'm a hustler and I've learned that through time. But for some people, it's really, really hard to get away from, you know, a really good job or have spending your entire life on education and like knowing that this might not be exactly what you like to do, but also like giving that up and how much you've worked on is, is really hard for people too. So I had a lot of appreciation for being able to speak there, but also being able to listen to people's stories and talk to people more or less from their perspective and see how hard it really is and like how motivational someone's story like mine can be for people. Mm -hmm. It meant a lot to me. It was actually a really cool experience. 
That's awesome. Yeah. I like the idea of like non-traditional ways to give back as well. Like yeah. it's to give back with like your experience and your support and your knowledge and stuff, I think is a really great way to be philanthropic. No, yeah. I think that's the best part of what I've done. And I'm kind of humbled by the fact that like people are starting to recognize it because I mean, my business is down in Arizona. I live in Rapid City full time, but I think people are starting to see things happen around branded bills a little bit more often nowadays. Mm -hmm. And I don't really see it that way. I just kind of see the day to day. Mm -hmm. But from an outsider's perspective, it does seem like it is growing and it it is. And there's an aspect to it that I've not taken a lot of time to sit down and think about and my entire experience and be able to talk about it and express it has really helped me and like this kind of stuff. This is my, I guess, my third time being able to like sit and talk. And um, it's not easy to do, you know, with your significant other. And it's always, you know, Colleen always gets the shitty days and she always gets the the times that I'm struggling and I'm mm. super stressed out and I don't have time for anything else. And like, that's what she gets lucky for her. Mm-hmm. But like to sit down and like appreciate all the things that have happened and all the things that have been such a great learning experience is it's the best part for sure. And I'd love to share that experience with as many people as I can. Yeah. That's awesome. Yep. What are you guys working on right now? Like what's coming up that you're excited about? Anything like yeah. new or different or? Yeah. So this week's actually been like super busy. Uh, we're coming out with a new series. So we could kind of drop new designs based off of like all 50 states. So it's a huge project on the mm-hmm. back end to load, take pictures, all that stuff. But we're dropping a landscape series on Monday on Earth Day. Cool. Which um, basically has a state tree of every state oh, on the pack. Rad. And then we partnered with 1% for the planet. So we're giving cool. 1% of every hat purchase back to a conservation effort. That's awesome. And then, yeah, moving forward, I mean, our custom business is huge. Uh, it's growing daily. We're just trying to, like, I guess, maximize the potential of our company. This is, like, kind of our our year to, like, mm-hmm. everything's set in place. Like, like to see how far we can take it with what we have. That's awesome. But, um, yeah, for me, like, from the design side, the landscape series is super special to me. And to be able to do something like that and, like, have the creative freedom and, like, I don't know, partner up with a conservation effort and have an impact probably as big as we'll be able to have is is a super cool feeling. So I'm really excited for that. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. Okay. So last question. Okay. So you are recently married. Mm-hmm. You have a business in Arizona. We're coming up on summer and I'm sure with warmer weather, things just get crazier and crazier yep. you know, in terms of our, our time and stuff. So in this season of your life with everything that you have going on, what is saving your life right now? You know, I mean, obviously like Making the decision to get married, that was one of the better decisions I've ever made in my life. We have a stepdaughter, Zara. And so us three have found like a really comfortable spot in Rapid City. And for us, I feel like, you know, agreeing on the fact that I have to go down to Arizona one or two weeks a month, it pulls me away from the family, but it allows us to kind of grow as individuals. Hmm. And it's been, uh, you know, give and take relationship, but also like we've kind of found that rooted trust in like, ability to appreciate the time we have together. And like, obviously I miss Zara a lot of that time. And that's something I've had to deal with and it's been super hard. But at the same time, it's like when I come home, that kind of keeps me grounded in the fact that like, 
even though I can wake up and work on my phone and computer all day, every day, like I'll come home and be able to just sit and like enjoy my family and, you know, go through the day to day and have just like routine family day, I think Mm -hmm. is just like great before, you know, when you're working a nine to five, like you kind of fall into a routine of like work, sleep, eat, gym schedule. And then like, for me, like my schedule is like so off the wall. It's basically 24 hours a day, but I can pick and choose what times a day, like I'm really going to focus on work. Mm. And then I can pick and choose what times like work's done. Like I'm turning it off. I have to turn it off and like focus on family and like having fun and being able to go get a beer and like have happy hour and then like take Zara to the park and all that kind of stuff just kind of keeps me super grounded. Mm -hmm. And we've definitely struggled in the fact that like I can work 24 hours a day. Like if I open my phone, I create more work if I'm working. So like once I get started, all this other stuff starts to pop up. And so I've definitely had to find ways to to manage my time and like find priority in the fact that work will always be there. And I've created this opportunity to where I can turn it off because I don't know, I have other people that can take care of some of this stuff for me now. Mm -hmm. But I mean, just having, having those people there for you, like when you are stressed out, but also like when you're having a great day and you have the ability to share it with somebody is is like the best part of everything. Mm-hmm. And so I'm super grateful with the fact like clean actually we started dating like when I was sewing hats in my kitchen. Mm-hmm. So she's seen like the entire transition and progress of the business mm-hmm. and she's been 100% supportive of the fact that like not only like allowing me to pursue my goal and dream because I don't really see it as like a goal and dream to like have a hat company but allowing me the time to like put in the work to create something for myself. She's been super understanding of that fact. And then, you know, on the opposite side, like I've been super understanding of the fact that like she's a mom and she has a lot of responsibility. She takes care of on her own, but then like to form this partnership to take care of Zara together, like we really respect each other for the fact that like it's a team effort. Mm. And now it's just like this beautiful blossoming relationship that we're probably just getting started even though we've been together for four years Mm -hmm. but to have that and we're getting ready I think to have another child pretty soon she's not pregnant but (laughs) (laughs) maybe by the time this comes out (laughs) yeah but um yeah it's definitely like being thought about and I don't know we're just excited to move forward and see what happens and we feel super fortunate for where I guess branded bills has been able to provide that support system for our family life as well Mm. We're very lucky. That's awesome. Yeah. So cool. My husband works in Wyoming during the week. And we just had this conversation too that being apart for so much more makes, I think has built our, made our relationship a lot stronger. Yeah. Because our time together is like, it's not, you know, me trying to multitask. Right. It doesn't work. It's like being really focused and, and knowing that my time, our time together is like, it's right now and like, we need to be in it and so yeah for sure that's awesome yeah